friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Crawford. I'm on staff here and I do a lot of different things. Um, I do a lot of detail stuff, a lot of admin, which I love. And I also get to help with the prayer ministry and every once in a while they trust me to get up here and do this. So (laughs) I'm really honored to be with you this morning. Um, Happy Father's Day to all the dads and spiritual fathers. We love you so much and the way you lead and love us is it just matters so much so I I hope that you feel honored and celebrated today Um, we're actually going to jump into a new series this morning that will feel a bit like an extension of what we've been talking about Um, there we go oh no that's jumping way ahead we're not going to go there yet I mean that is true and we're going to get there but Um, Can we go now? Thanks. Just all the spoilers this morning. (laughs) Um, This is why I only get to do this every now and then. I can't work the tick. Um, He really wants you to know he's the highest authority. He just is. I can't make it go where I want it to read. It should just say moments with Jesus right now. Um, So our new series, there we are, okay, is Moments with Jesus. And this is going to be just little snapshots of Jesus' life on the earth. People who met him in the flesh came face to face with him and were changed by him. And we have been praying for revival around here for several years, and we have gotten to see God answer this prayer. We're we're seeing him pour out um, just evidence of his goodness and his presence. We have seen salvations. We've seen miraculous healings. We have seen relationships and lives that seemed completely destroyed and irreparable, restored in miraculous ways. We have seen people delivered from strongholds of oppression and sin patterns and addiction to become completely new and live in freedom and peace. That is the kind of God that we worship, and that is only the beginning. There is so much more that he has in store for us, for this city, for the world. And as we continue to long and pray for and contend for his presence and for him to pour out his power in even greater measure, we want to keep our hearts oriented in the right direction. 
We want to know Jesus intimately. We want to abide with him and we want to keep our eyes and our hearts centered on the source of all the power that we're asking for. He has so much in store. So we want to know him. We want to know him in deeper ways. We want to be consumed with knowing him. And we trust and believe that as we come to know him more and more, that revival and power and transformation will follow him wherever he goes. So that's what this series is going to be. It's going to be us getting to know Jesus even more. Um, You know, we've talked for months. We started with beholding Jesus, and then we went into encounters with the resurrected Jesus. All of this is around this same thing. We want to know him. We want to abide in him. So over the next several weeks, as we go through these little snippets or stories of people interacting with Jesus, um, we have a few questions that we just want to have at the front of our minds as a lens to view all of these interactions through. Um, So as we go, just be on the lookout for answers to these questions. So what, when we read a story or a passage, what does this text say to me or show me about who Jesus is? What does it show me about what he does? What are the things he demonstrates? And who are we in light of encountering him? So those are going to just kind of be our lens as we go through the next several weeks. Every story we look at, we're going to be constantly asking those questions like, what does this say about Jesus? What does it show me that he's doing? And who does that say that I am? So we are going to start with a story in Mark 5. And you can turn there if you like or go there on your phone at the very beginning of the chapter. And we have this fun little thing that the Lord likes to do at Skyline where it's a holiday or people come for baby dedications and we talk about hard things. <laughs> and we don't do that on purpose, it just happens. So today it's Father's Day and we're going to talk about a demon-possessed man. <laughs> no big deal. It's fine. So, Mark chapter 1, I actually just want to read the passage to you. Because to paraphrase it, I just feel like the word is living and active, and I want you to hear the actual text. So it's a little bit longer. So Mark chapter 5. They, Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee we're talking about, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, it's tempting to read this story and stories like it, especially if we've heard it over and over, to gloss over it. Like, yeah, demon-possessed guy goes and meets Jesus, and Jesus heals him, and all is well. Yay, Jesus. And all of that is true, but it doesn't convey the full weight of what is happening here. This is an actual story that happened to real people. And we will not cover, we won't even begin to touch all the questions that this story brings up. I mean, I think we could spend weeks just on this story because there's so much in it. It is wild on so many levels. And if we really sit in it and explore all the things that are happening, it is impossible to just breeze by and be unaffected. So Jesus and his friends pull up to shore after crossing the Sea of Galilee. And as a side note, as they crossed the Sea of Galilee, they went through a huge storm and they thought they were going to die and Jesus calmed the storm. So the, ter- the disciples were terrified from that and they were asking, who is this man? So this is what they come to next. And they're met by a man who is naked, he is demon-possessed, he has superhuman strength, He's got chains on his wrists and his ankles that he has broken free from. And he is shouting at the top of his voice. So I don't know about you, but just one of those things on the list would be enough for me. And I would be out of there. And to say they were met by him doesn't quite do it justice because it says he ran toward them. And Matthew's account of this same story actually tells us that there were two men and that they were so violent no one could pass by this area. 
So this kind of conjures images for me of the Sandlot movie, like the scariest house at the end of the block when the boys throw the baseball over, but they're not going over the fence because the dog is over there and they call him the beast. And like, this is scary town. We are not going here. No one goes to this place. Um, And this man is charging at Jesus and his friends. But when Jesus sees him, receives him, he is unconcerned. And he simply commands this evil spirit to leave him. And that, to me, demonstrates this beautiful picture of Jesus acknowledging and operating in the truth that his battle is not against humans. It is not against flesh and blood. He sees what's really going on, and he has compassion on the humans and no tolerance for the demons. He says, you have to leave. So as we look at that through the lens of our earlier questions that we talked about, who does this say Jesus is? And this is the thing that he apparently really wants you to know today because we've shown you the slide 45 times. Jesus is the highest authority. He is the highest. There is no one above him. And this is the place that my heart has been stirred for the past two weeks. There is no one above him. No one. No human, no spirit, anything otherwise. No created being has any authority over him. He makes this declaration about himself to his friends in Matthew 28 when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he was given it by the Father, by the one who had the authority to bestow. And we see his authority in action in this story when this violent, Hulk-like man who, remember, has overpowered everyone who has tried to subdue him in recent history. People have tried to chain him up and they couldn't. People have avoided him. But Jesus, just his presence, when this man comes into contact with the fullness of who Jesus is, He falls to his knees. He cannot stand. And I love that Chase mentioned what he did earlier about communion because that felt like such a confirmation of what the Lord wants you to know. That sin cannot stand in his presence. Darkness has to flee when it comes into contact with him. And this actually had been a a pattern that had been taking place. So if we back up a couple of chapters in Mark 3, we see that when people would bring the sick and demonized people to Jesus, that all the evil spirits would fall down before him and they would just cry out, you're the son of God. So all they can do when they come into his fullness is to fall, to submit, and declare who he is. So when we sing things like we did earlier about there is no higher name, and 
Your majesty causes mountains to shake and demons to flee. This is the picture of what that looks like. And I think one of the beautiful things about what this shows us, the kinds of things that Jesus does, is that he goes in his authority where no one else will go. He goes to this predominantly Gentile region in a time where it was culturally understood according to Jewish law that Jews and Gentiles really didn't mix. It was um, this area of tombs that was mentioned. So he's surrounded by death. There were ceremonial cleanliness laws about coming into contact with the dead or um, being, being made unclean by being around or touching the dead. And this man is surrounded by death. He lives surrounded by death. There were also pigs nearby, and those were considered ceremonially unclean in Jewish law, too. So no, there's a whole list of reasons why no good law-abiding Jewish person would come to this region. And not only that, but aside from all of that, nobody is going to go visit the violent man in the cemetery. I mean, we're just not going there. I mean, when I've come into contact with things that I don't understand or frighten me or I can't control, I don't go there. We isolate, we withdraw because we can't do anything about it and we're afraid. But Jesus, and only Jesus, would step into this kind of scenario. The fact that he, it says, went to the other side of the lake, and he moved into close personal contact with a man who was swallowed up with evil and darkness, demonstrates the most beautiful thing about Jesus. He goes wherever he has to go to get to us. And I love, love, love that Chase said that during communion. Because I think he wants you to hear that thing today. That there is this lie, I've heard it most of my Christian life, that our sin offends God to the point that he has to be away from us. He's too holy. He can't be near us. That we actually have to clean ourselves up before he can come near. And that is a lie. It is true that he is holy. It is true that sin cannot stand in his presence. But it is because it gets obliterated in his light. He causes all the darkness to scatter just by who he is. And I think we think that maybe God is afraid of our sin or he's hesitant or he does it begrudgingly. He comes near, but it's like in spite of us. But he actually takes joy in coming after us 
in the deep, dark places. That is why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus willingly came. Romans 8, 5, 8, sorry. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we are sinners. Christ died for us. Psalm 139, he says, David writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And in Hebrew culture, Sheol was considered the abode of the dead. So where this man was living. Yeah. One description of it is that it's the land of gloom and deep darkness. Even if we make our bed there, he is there. And on down in Psalm 139, he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. How incredible that hundreds of years after David wrote this psalm, Jesus goes to the far side of the sea to rescue a man who had taken up residence in the land of gloom and deep darkness. Only Jesus. He goes where no one else will go. And he goes no matter the cost. In all three accounts of this story, in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, the next thing we're told is that Jesus leaves the region and goes back to the other side of the sea. And I can't prove it, but it stirs my heart with such wonder to think, what if Jesus crossed that sea just for this man? That sounds like the Jesus we know. It sounds like the good shepherd who goes after the one and leaves the 99. That is who he is. That's what he does. Another thing I think we see Jesus doing here is that he responds with compassion. He sees this man who is running at him, and we're not told if the man is running because he has mustered enough of his own faith to come near, or if these demons are pushing him toward Jesus with violent intention. We don't know. But I think this interaction shows that it doesn't matter. However you get to Jesus is good enough. He will respond to you in that moment. This man ran and he fell at Jesus' feet. Jesus looked into this man's eyes and he asked him his name. And the demonic responded. And I think it shows us this picture of 
how powerful the darkness had been in this man's life. But Jesus, with a word, commands it to leave, and he restores sanity, he restores peace, he eliminates chaos, he settles this man. Then he even clothes him. We're told that um, in Luke, that when the people came back to see, this man was dressed and in his right mind. Like, did Jesus give him his own tunic? Maybe. Either way, he covered all of the evidence of all the stuff from the past. He covered the wounds, the scars, the blood. He covered it all because he responds in compassion. He restores what's been lost. And he redeems in ways that we cannot fathom. He redeemed this man's entire life. He restored him back to his family. He restored him to community. And then he welcomed him to sit, to stay close by, to be near. Jesus always, always responds. And as he redeemed him, he gives him this new identity. No longer is he the demon-possessed man who lives in the tombs. This brother is now an evangelist. He's going to town to tell everybody what Jesus has done for him. And he will never stop talking about it. Because he's never been the same. He is changed from the inside out, and it ripples out through his whole community. This is who he is now. He is a new creation. He is made totally new. And I actually can't think of a single example in Scripture where someone approaches Jesus even from the tiniest hint of faith, like even a question of, are you who I think you are? Jesus responds every time with abundance and generosity and healing and life and a path to newness. And I can't help but wonder if as he crossed the sea, Jesus was responding to the desperate cries for help from someone in this man's family. I mean, I've been there. I've been crying out for my own self, and I've cried out for people I love. And I can just imagine those prayers. God of Israel, I've heard of you. If you're real, would you show me? Come help my son. Come help my brother. Help my father. Help my friend. And Jesus responds. It may not look like we thought it would. It might not be in the timing that we were hoping for, but he always comes. He responds with compassion because he can't do anything else. It's who he is.
Praise the Lord that that's what he does. If there's anything in us that cries out for his help, he comes. And he always makes us new. So that answers our third question of who are we in light of encountering him? We're the new ones. We're the restored, the redeemed, the free. We're the ones who don't have to live in fear anymore, in chaos, in depression. We don't have to be a slave to anything anymore because we're new. He makes us new. So the band can go ahead and come back up. And we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> this morning, You guys, over the last several weeks, I mean, it's been a while, but especially over the last several weeks, we've been so aware of God moving here. He is doing so much. He is stirring up so much newness. He's pouring out so much of himself. He is coming near but I'm also really aware that we have an enemy who is real, who does wield real power, and he wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives of people we love. So we do have to acknowledge that in order to let the Lord take it and do what he wants with it. Because if we're focused on it, it's really easy for that thing to become our identity. I'm just a depressed person. I'm just anxious. I'm angry. I'm addicted. I can't shake this thing. It's just part of who I am. It's my thing I gotta live with. We do have to acknowledge that those things are real. We have a rule um, in soul care around here that applies here. For every one look we take at darkness or at the enemy, we take a thousand look at the king. We look at the one who has authority over all of the stuff that's happening. So today, I feel like the invitation to be made new to run to him whatever gets you there get to him fall on your face be at his feet and bring all your stuff with you you don't have to clean anything up to come he's not waiting for you to fix anything because he's got it all under control He's got a plan, and he has more than enough power and goodness and love for you to get that thing out of your life. So we're going to worship 
and whatever the Lord is doing in you right now. Would you just receive his grace to acknowledge the thing that he wants to point out and then look at him. Look him in the eye. Keep your face fixed right on his and let him dismantle all the darkness. Take down every stronghold. Tear down every lie so that you can be free so that everything that's been lost can be restored to you. As we worship, we're going to have our prayer team up here. If you want somebody to pray with, they would love to do that. Or if you want to just come to the altar and do business with the Lord by yourself, you're welcome to do that too. Whatever he is doing in you this morning, just surrender. Because it is so good on the other side. He is the highest authority and he's worth everything we can give him.